and Shamina, and welcome to Head Boss in Charge. Uh, so, Paul, how you bossing? I'm bossing just fine. It's been a really good past few weeks. Um, if you can hear it in my voice, uh, it's been great. Well, in multiple ways. At work, you know, you've probably been feeling some of my woes with just like some systemic issues with our organization. And, you know, it's always really good as a manager to get good news. And that news being resources that you can use at your further tips, at your fingertips, just to advance your initiatives. And so um, I just found out uh, from uh, my VP that I have two additional staff members um, that I can add to my team which is great. And that will super, super, super help um, our bandwidth issues, our morale, uh, and just help uh, spread out the workload a little bit because we do a lot and we just need help. But that is the cry of every nonprofit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, so that's great. And, you know, it's always nice to get a little financial incentive along the way. So, you know, raises and shit. <laughs> so, um, I'm sorry, what does that mean? <laughs> what's a, what's a bonus <laughs> right bonus. so um I'm gonna jot that you, down and look that up right you know they they always say that uh you know i hear that you know money's not everything blah blah blah, blah. but i think for work you know i had an employee tell me once you know I, you don't need to tell me thank you you don't need to tell me good job that's not how i feel good about myself or how i feel appreciated at the organization but the, the financial component is how I felt, feel that I'm heard. And, you know, I, I really much heard that. And I think at some places it's easier to do that than others. Um, but well, when it does happen. Usually with money, say that. Money is not everything. And I was like, because you have all of it. But okay. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's gone well. Um, and just looking forward to uh, next couple of weeks. You know, it's my birthday next week and um going to be celebrating that this weekend. So that should be a good time. Um, and, you know, I <laughs> people tell me that I'm going through my return of Saturn and I feel like I've been in my return of Saturn for a little over half a year now. <laughs> I'm not completely, <laughs> completely out of it. And so, like, when good things happen, it makes me feel that I'm inching closer and closer out of that phase. So I'm hoping when I get to this next birth year um, that it's only uphill from here because it's been a pretty, a pretty rough, rough uh, year. So um, I wish I was in Coachella this weekend too. You know, that's going on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm glad I'm not there because Beyonce's not performing. But Yeah, I was like, uh, what's the point? Why? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, oh, I'm a month away too from um, uh, my vacation that I'm planning out. I'm doing two weeks away um, in another country, several countries. I'm uh, going to Iceland, Berlin, Amsterdam, and Brussels. Nice. Yeah, so all that all that positive energy in the air is exciting me, and spring is in the air, so weather's starting to get great. So yeah, that's me. All How right. you, boss? Um, I'm doing reasonably well. I have, um, <coughs> excuse me, the ending the near the the end of the semester for 
um, my job, which means things are a little bit crazy. Um, and of course, I use the term crazy loosely, not clinically. Um, work is going fine. Um, I'm, I'll drop a little gem of something that I'm continuing to learn in just a second. But work is fine. Life is good. Um, as a person who works out a lot, my workouts are on point. My running is good. I'm up on my miles. Um, one of the things that I'm increasingly learning at work, um, so excuse if this is out of order, but I don't care, that sometimes we have to recognize when we are the problem. And I'm not, I'm talking about the proverbial we, not myself. Um, I have been run into a few situations in the last few weeks where the, let's just say the student is not the one that's the problem. Um, and people have been reluctant to take a pause and check themselves and be like, well, maybe I'm the bitch in this. Maybe I need to step up my game and be a little bit more proactive with this and uh, take control of the situation. So that's been a little bit of uh, what has gone on the last few weeks of people just being like, oh, I absolve myself from this. I'm handing off this, like sometimes a significant problem, sometimes not a problem at all. Uh, so that's been a little bit frustrating at work. Uh, even when I've been trying to give people tools, te techniques, like let's role play. So that has taken the forefront of a number of things professionally. Uh, so that's just given me a lot to think about in the last, uh, especially the last few days, but certainly the last few weeks. But other than that, things are good. I just realized that Mercury is in retrograde as of um, earlier this month. And it's in that until uh, the very beginning of May. So. So I'm screwed over twice over, because what does yeah. it mean when I'm in the, the birth year where Saturn's in retrograde, and I've noticed that every time Mercury's in retrograde on top of that, it just, like, really messes up my life. <laughs> yeah, so just, just a little something to be mindful of in terms of communication, not making any, like, or being mindful or really thoughtful about making any significant or large commitments of time or resources. Um, yeah, it's just, it's weird that these things happen to come up and I'm just like, what is going on with the universe? And then I think, oh, are we, okay, we're, Mercury's in retrograde, so things are going to be a little bit jacked up for a few weeks anyway. So let me just tone it down and let, let the universe do its thing. Um, right. So yeah, I just realized that today, just a little bit ago. So <laughs> yeah, y'all yeah, be mindful of that, that out there. If you're feeling like you're not communicating well or people are not understanding what you're saying even if you're saying it in a what you believe to be a clear manner it's probably them so let's not let's not pretend about that but it's probably also a level of the mercury being in retrograde and so anticipate that for a few weeks that's uh, a no yeah um i guess that's been happening at my workplace too now that i think about it communications a little weak so yeah and it just just the, the small things that seem off you're like i know i didn't say that or misinterpreting information that you like clearly write out and people being like taking it to the next level. And you're like, well, what I wrote is this. And you inferred all these other things. Like read what I wrote. Sometimes it's okay to take, take things literally. Right. So. Right. I do have one more thing to mention that I forgot is uh, indicative of me kind of feeling good being back in good spirits is, you know, um, since our walking away episode, um, I've been intentionally taking a break um, from just all my side hustles and the things that I've been working on that I'm passionate about, but have been very draining. 
Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I actually texted about texted this to you this morning about listening to mm. um, Fran from hey, uh, not Hey Fran Hey um, the Friend Zone that podcast and listening to Fran talk about um, the need to be a bum for a little while. <laughs> that was the word she used. And um, she was talking about how we go through times where we are, are, our brain is the hardware and our experiences is the software. So sometimes we go through the, um, the download phase where we, that's, that's when we produce and we're producing, we're producing, we're producing. Um, but we do need to go um, through our phases of uploading mm-hmm. uh, uh, new software and readjusting and not being so caught in the tides of the constant go, 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 go and the busyness. And sometimes uh, it is fine just to relax and, you know, stay in every night, binge watch a couple shows or just go out to the lake and just be idle. And Mm -hmm. I'm so glad she said that because, you know, I've always felt this guilt of being late, not lazy, but just not producing and not and not using and I equate that to not using my time wisely and so you know she reminded me that those times when we're idle is when we're actually getting new knowledge and new inspirations and Mm -hmm. so for the past three weeks I think it's going on week four I've been idle and I'm noticing uh the inspiration coming back and so um I I called a friend or I met up with a friend last week and I asked him, Hey, I really want to do a photo shoot with you. I'm feeling inspired by new concepts. Also, I really love how you uh, dress. You know, I do, I particularly like fashion photography. So we <laughs> scheduled the date. We're, we're going to go out in two weekends and do something. And I miss that feeling of being inspired again. And so I'm really glad that I, this is probably the longest break I've ever, I ever took, but uh, it's okay to take even just a week off from everything. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because that made me think of two things. One, uh, the different ways that people kind of bum out, if you will. Um, Cause I think of like, how do I bum out? Cause I'm not good at, at sitting idly by. Um, but I think of like, for me, it's running because my mind clears and then I'm like, ugh, like all the stuff that was problematic or running through my brain or like the lack of, um, creativity and not, and I don't see myself as a traditionally creative person, um, or even like alternatively creative, if that makes sense. Uh, but just the way that my thoughts flow and the energy that I have, I find that I have significantly more energy when I make sure that I do that consistently. Um, and then what was the other thought that I had when you were talking about that? I've lost it. If I remember it, it'll come back. But yeah, it's just interesting the way that people gain their energy or their kind of resurgence of creativity in very different ways. And so how it's almost required, like you have to do those things. And if you don't do them for yourself, sometimes the universe will force those things upon you to make you slow down. Like, I mean, not that you want to, but sometimes you'll get sick and then you have, you don't have any choice but to slow down because you just, you won't get well until you Mm -hmm. stop and pause. Um, Totally. Yeah. That's a really good example. I think that's an extreme example because that, uh, that gets to the point where our body is physically screaming at us, slow down (laughs) rather than the universe telling us it's our body. Yeah. 
Um, well, no, I think I think it's a combination of both of those things. Um, that connection between the universe and your body. Like, I don't I don't see that in those particular instances. They are working in conjunction. Like, they are helping you figure out how to rest so that you can eventually rise. Um, and sometimes I don't think it takes a lot. Like, sometimes you may get like momentarily sick, like really quickly. It's not a buildup. Um, but yeah, I've worked with folks who like are on a cycle. Like it's cyclical of when they get sick because it's, it's like this pattern of X amount of weeks that they've been going hard at X amount of months. And then their body's like, yeah, no girl, just tomorrow is going to be it. I'm not going to build up to it. I'm just going to smack you down because you don't seem to be getting the message. You know what I mean? So (laughs) it's really interesting. So I'm like, I don't want to, I try not to get myself to that place. Um, Number one, thankfully I don't get sick a lot minus this like heinous cough, but some of that is because I'm like, I don't want to be like out for the count for several days in a row. Cause I, you know, that's hard. Uh, it so. is. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's, uh, we'll be right back. All right. So, uh, water cooler talk. So, I really have been always passionate about the topic um, millennials because I am a millennial (laughs) and um, I actually did research about millennials in education um, a lot and on top of um, like race relations, socioeconomic relations um, when I was in grad school. So uh, I I came across this video that reminded me of this topic about millennials in the workplace. Uh, I feel like it's still a hot topic amongst managers, amongst folks in um, senior level positions, because there's still a generational divide between current and um, current entry level um, and rising employees and um, folks who are running organizations. So I'm talking about uh, VPs, CEOs, presidents, maybe even like uh, senior managers. Uh, and some mid-level managers. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I came across this video. Um, it was a video of an interview by this guy named Simon Sinek, um, S-I-N-E-K. And he, um, it, the interview went many different places, but uh, he's a guy, I, um, Shimina, remind me like what he does, what's his background? To be honest, I was trying to think about that as you were talking. I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what he does because I've I've seen a few of his talks and listened to a few of his interviews on podcasts, and I don't have an exact of what he does. I I would oh, loosely okay. label him a bit of a thought leader, um, in terms of uh just generally the workplace and how humans navigate the workplace in a, ver- a variety of ways. Because he talks a lot about success in the workplace. Um, he talks about millennials. Um. So I would just kind of yeah. label him loosely as a thought leader in this area. I think that's right. I just looked him up really quickly on Wikipedia. He's a, a British American author and motivational speaker and a marketing consultant. So, um, and he's written a couple books. So um, he was in this interview and um, he always gets asked the millennial questions. So he went really in depth um, to really address everyone's concerns. Um, and he made a few really uh, quite a few really good points and some points of that may be of contention or controversy that 
I would love for us to kind of just analyze and talk about. And, you know, we'll make sure to put um, the link to the video in the episode description, but we're just going to go for it and dive right in. Um, and so I'm I will ready. start with, yeah, the first kind of concept. So, uh, you know, millennials um, and the definition of the millennial has evolved over the course of past five, the past five years, because folks are still changing the beginning and end date of the millennial generation. Um, but it averages somewhere between uh, millennials are born somewhere at the start of 1981 to 1984. Um, and we are still defining the end date of the millennial generation, but I think it's really close. Um, some folks are using 2001 um, to mark the end date of the uh, millennial generation uh, because obviously 2001 was 9-11. We tend to like to use that as a, a marker for things, but it's also the marker of when a lot of technology started to boom. Um, internet uh, was the first wave, wave of the, uh, the bubble bursting. Um, but that's up for debate. So anyways, um, millennials are around, right? The oldest being around like 35 right now. So uh, millennials often come with characteristics. Um, a lot of them are negative. Um, you know, they, uh, we're entitled. Uh, we, um, uh, we, and the, some of them are positive. Like we, we, we're looking for experiences that have huge impact on the world. Uh, but we don't want to spend a lot of time getting there. <laughs> we want it to be easy. Um, we think everyone should get rewarded for their accomplishments. Um, we are good multitaskers, but with that, we um, uh, get distracted really easily. Um, uh, Shamina, do you have any that you think of with millennials? Um, I would agree with all of those stated. I would say it's... Um... Uh, now and in, in a hurry. Uh, and I watched the Simon Sinek talk several times and I listened to it again um, this morning, just just in preparation. Uh, but I found a lot of those things to be accurate. And I think it's subjective whether they are negative or not. I think it's, you know, really depends on the situation of how you see it. Um, but I certainly saw there was, I think you made one point about impatience and I certainly see that um, as a millennial trait. Um, and I will say I am not a millennial, but I certainly have, I have uh, millennial tendencies at times. So I'm not going to divorce myself of like some of those tendencies. Right. <laughs> but right. Um, yeah, so I don't want to pretend like, oh, no, that's not me at all. But I can, I see, I see a difference. I just, <clears throat> in terms of how I grew up in that piece, I thought it was interesting. Um, some of the conversation about parenting um, and the parents of millennials and how they have, um, what role they've played in like the life of a millennial, if you will. Uh, so we can dive into that a little bit later, but I just, I thought that was really interesting to, uh, to hear him talk about the role that parents play, but then also the role that employers play in companies. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, yeah, actually, I, the parent thing was what I wanted to start with. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go with the timeline and um, get to uh, adulthood and when they're actually in the workplace. But um, I, when I hear this conversation, some folks will start with the parents and blaming parents. And 
Um, that was a point of his interview that I didn't, like, I understand where it's coming from, but I can't entirely put the blame on parents because, you know, in my opinion, there's always going to be a general generational divide and the older generation is always going to look at the younger generation that precedes them um, in a different light. And so how I see with parents is that there's, there's no, I, there's no, um, you can bestow morals and you can bestow ethics and all those things, but there's no guidebook to parenting. Um, and, you know, yes, kids are shaped by their environments and by the teaching of their parents, but, uh, parents are only going off of the way that they grew up and how they grew up is very different than how their kids are growing up. Uh, and so they're, you know, parents are just really going with the flow. Um, they are faking it till they make it and using what they think is right. Um, but at the end of the day, some of that, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, no. Just uh, at the end of the day, it's it's the the kid who uh, decides how they move through the world. Yeah, well, I would say that there's a lot of societal pressure in that, in terms of how parenting, quote unquote, should look. Um, I think with as I think about older generations, there was certainly a way that generations and people were supposed to raise their family, and who was supposed to be like the breadwinner and all of those things. And I think there's been a somewhat of a disruption with regard to the parents of millennials in terms of how they should interact with their, their child and what the things that they should do or shouldn't do. So I think some of that is um, a change, like you said, kind of a change from past generations, but I, I don't, there's a level of it that I've, you know, is certainly the parent and how they choose to interact and what, what choices they, you know, uh, uh, enforce or don't enforce with their, their student and how they form that relationship. But I think there's a point at which that moves away from the parent. Like you said, it's the it's the um, the child, you know, the millennials' decision of how to respond to that and how they want to interact with the world. Um, because I think there's there's a lot of as we talked about uh, what is it an episode or two ago? Like there's choice in how you respond to most situations. It may not feel like you have a choice. It may be a bad choice and a shittier choice. So you pick the bad one, even though you don't want it. But I think there's, there's still a level of choice in how you respond, interact, engage with um, your colleagues, with the outside world. So I really put just a small fraction of that because I think there are some behaviors and whatnot that can be unlearned. And people, it's a bit, I can see it as a bit of a cop-out for people to choose to not unlearn some behaviors. Right, right. You know, when we navigate some of those uh, attributes of millennials, some, you know, I am a millennial and, you know, it's really hard to talk about my upbringing and being a millennial without putting um, my identities on top of that, being gay, being a black male. Um, And so, like, for example, when I think of the word entitlement, um, I think I have some entitlement in some areas, but that has only go, that only goes such a long way because there were things about my upbringing that (laughs) forced me to be grateful for certain things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about money. I, you know, that's always a sensitive subject for me and, um, how, how I grew up, you know, it's, um, I, I would say some attributes of millennials, I think are pocketed towards, uh, the white male community. And so mm-hmm. I, when I hear these, uh, when I hear these attributes, I have to pull it apart. I'm like, mm, 
well, it makes sense that you're defining the millennial generation as these things because um, who makes up, you know, whatever percentage of our workforce, white men in leadership positions. So um, how we identify millennial attributes is so skewed because we don't have the di enough diversity in the workplace to make the proper identification. So I don't always completely identify with what the world says about millennials. Yeah. Well, as um, <clears throat> and if I were talking to some of the millennials I work with, I would be like, that's a very millennial thing to say. Um, no shade, just my experience. But when you talk about the entitlement piece, I think I don't want to I want to make sure that I talk about that because that is certainly something that I see consistently across the board um, with it's kind of the, the I deserve like I exist. Therefore, I deserve. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's been a tough part for me. I think one of the, the pieces of the video that I connected when he said like. Uh, he was talking to is like someone who you know fits into the millennial category in terms of like age and some of the characteristics is like the person was like I'm gonna quit my job I've been here eight months and I've I haven't made an impact and I'm like well that's in my mind you know and this is part of like the Gen X or in me perhaps or maybe this is but I will own that it's me saying this um, you haven't learned shit in eight months you've barely learned things in a year because I, I tend to think like you've got to go through a full cycle of um uh an employment period to see like what the first quarter second quarter third quarter like this kind of in financial terms or like an entire fiscal year to see really what a company or organization is about and then you actually start to learn um so as a person who is not a uh, a millennial i'm sometimes like i i encourage the folks that i work with that are millennials to slow down like you're in a rush to do what? And then you're going to, you're going to move, you're going to see me in the quote unquote move so fast that then you're, you're wondering why you'll be frustrated because you won't have enough experience to be able to catapult to the next position because you were, you were caught up on the title and getting the title and moving fast. So forward. And then you're going to plateau before you're, before it's time. Probably. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And you know, then you connect back to like where, does that feeling come from? Where does, where do those behaviors come from? And, you know, the guy was saying, you know, it comes from the fact that um, how we reward kids and um, for their achievement, mm. everyone's rewarded. Um, and for the person who knows in their heart that they didn't um, do that well, but still got the reward that feels shitty to them. So yeah. um, we do come from a society where, um, we've done this shift where we used to have first, first, second, third place. And now we have first runner up, uh, no, honorable mention and then fifth runner up, sixth runner up. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah. I, I think this, I was going to say, he doesn't talk about this specifically. Um, but I feel like the, there's a loss, almost a, a loss of competition with the, everybody's a winner concept. I think there's a level of healthy competition. I think that there is a, there tends to be someone who rises to whatever occasion, just faster, better, stronger. It doesn't mean they're a better person and thus the other person is like terrible, but sometimes there's just people that are better than, at stuff than you are. And that's okay. That's, we balance out the world. Some of us are good at some things. Some of us are good at, at other things. Um, so I tend to believe in like the healthy competition piece. I believe in that too. And I think uh, in some environments that's 
easier than others. Uh, and I say that from the framework of um, sometimes uh, success is defined by numbers. And he kind of talks about this, like we are in some of us are in working environments where there are numbers so that's easy to depict whether or not we are compete how we're competing amongst our peers and in other environments i would say my our environment like education that's a little bit harder to qualify uh, mm -hmm. or quantify i would say um but i i loved what he kind of said about we are putting um we, you know, we have this younger generation being put into environments that are very quantitative um, and not focusing on some of that human aspect of success in a job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about in the past about hard skills versus soft skills. And I think mm -hmm. it's very millennial to be so good at the hard skills. Like, that's how we show success. That's how we um, achieve. And um, everything else goes out the door. And that's why sometimes we have really bad leaders because all they're good at is the hard skills. And um, our, our kids, our students never get placed into learning environments to um, help with the soft skills. Yeah. Well, I think as a manager and as one who works like and supervises millennials, like I have to remember my role in terms of like impressing the importance of like having a balance of both like the te technical or hard skills and the soft skills, because you're going to need both. Like, unless you work with robots 24 seven and machines only, um, and you have limited access to like interacting with people, that's one thing, but I don't, I don't work with folks who know that. And I don't know a lot of folks who only work with like bots or machines. So mm -hmm. I have to remind myself to like, there's a development that I have to have within myself and to seek that out for myself. But then I also have to, encourage push um uh and reinforce that with the millennials that i'm working with knowing that at some point they are going to be working with the next generation i don't know what the next generation is called they're going to be working with the next generation and they're going to have to figure out how to navigate that onward you know what i mean so yeah i think that that's an interesting concept and it, it reminded me that i have to be mindful of that for the folks that I supervise and work with that fall into that millennial category. Right. You know, it, it's uh, when I try to, in a very meta way, analyze myself in the work environment as a manager. Now, mind you, uh, like half my, uh, most of my team is are considered millennials. I do have a couple of folks that are um, in, in generation um, uh, Z X. Is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> I forgot. Wow. Um, wow. Thank you. But, Thank you for that. But, you know, I, I think about so many other things, like uh, mainly social, my, uh, how I lead and relate to people through social identities, but the millennial identity never comes up in my head. And I think that's also millennial of me to say that. Um, mm -hmm. I also, I also don't think about the, the differences between me and the older generation, because I think I was very fortunate in my college education, I had a lot of student leader positions and I had one supervisor who took me through the most intense professional and leader leadership development training. Um, my supervisor, she loves talking about these things. Um, she, you know, has her MBA in human services. So she was all about instilling those soft skills with us early on. And so 
but that education, knowing that she's part of Generation X, she taught a lot of traits and things that were admired during her time in the workplace. And so I carried that with me. And when I speak with a lot of my colleagues who are in Generation X, I get it. Um, because I was taught, I was, those were, those values were embedded in me much earlier. So, um, I haven't seen too many examples in my own experience so far where I, I conflict that much with folks around me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. we're, and I'm trying to think, I probably conflict more with the millennials that I work with, um. Uh, not in like butt heads kind of way, but I, I I find myself slowing people down a bit and uh, realigning expectations um, quite a bit in terms of time and um, some of that impatience uh, stuff that I was talking about. Um, so I feel a bit of the opposite. <clears throat> and this is having worked with like millennials before millennials had a name, like before there was a, a generation assigned to it and people started to pay attention and study it. Um, but yeah, that, that, that makes complete sense. But a lot of it is like learning, you know, and reading articles or watching talks like this Simon Sinek thing or watching different Ted talks, listening to podcasts. Um, and then again, taking a step back and realizing, okay, what role do I, like you said before, like, what role do I play in this? Let me like do a bit of self-examination to see how I contribute, how I detract or add to, you know, the conversation or the growth of other people or myself. So, yeah. So, you know, the the next part of this video that Simon really focused on, so it goes back to that uh, need for instant gratification and mm-hmm. that being developed by how accessible things are because of technology. Technology facilitates a lot of instant gratification. So that just becomes uh, embedded in the very fibers of, our, of a millennial's being. Um, mm-hmm. And so then he, you know, kind of goes into a journey on um, talking about the dopamine effects, mm-hmm. um, which I know both of us, we've talked about this a little bit before because of another podcast. But um, for those of you who don't know, the dopamine, dopamine is a chemical um, that's released in our brain and it's released in conjunction with, um, uh, uh, gosh, it's the the drug that makes us. It's the chemical that makes us really happy, and I'm blanking on the name. But they they work in conjunction and they oppose each other. But mm-hmm. uh, dope, uh, every time we feel good, like something happens and we feel good, um, it's a release of dopamine. So uh, <coughs> oftentimes, you know, you get uh, your your phone lights up, and I'm using your in a very very general sense. Your phone lights up, you get a text message, and you're like, ooh, that feels good because someone wants your attention, right? Or someone's asking for you, or maybe you get like likes on Instagram or Facebook and you, um, you, you feel good with, for, you feel good about that. And so that tends to lead to behavior, almost like obsessive addictive behavior for mm-hmm. how we interact with technology. So it's like folks can never put their phone down. Folks are waiting in line. They pick up their phone. They are in the bathroom. They read their phone. They um, are in conversation with friends at dinner and they got to pick up their phone to see who called, who said this, who did that. Um, and we do that because we get that chemical release and satisfaction of uh, whatever is at the other end of that, uh, you know, yep. phone. Yeah. 
Well, it's funny because I, I remember um, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, I remember this. This doesn't date me terribly because it's not that long ago. Um, and I'm not old. So what the fuck? Um, I remember before there were cell phones and like before there was an Internet, like how today there's these things are so commonplace. Um, and mind you, as I was talking to this person, they were like looking at their phone and I was like, see what I'm saying? Um, I remember before those things were like actually a thing. And so when I think about that, and I certainly have an element of that now, I don't post a ton on like the interwebs. Um, I scroll around and I, I read more articles and I do like surf through like Facebook and whatnot. Um, but I just remember being like, someone was like, oh, can't you just leave your phone at home? And my thought was like, well, certainly I could. Is it possible that I could leave my phone at home or not do it? But my mind automatically thinks like, what if my mom needs me that's, that's, or my partner needs me? Those are like the two things that I automatically think of when I think of like not having my phone. I'm like, what if my mom needs something? Granted, I'm a few hundred miles away, but you can make a lot of things happen. You know, if my mom were to call me right now and say, I need this or this happened, I'd be like, okay, hang up. Let me do blah, 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 and we'll get it taken care of like within the next like 10 to 15 minutes. So for me, I think of it less of a, um, certainly I'd, I'd scroll through Facebook and shit like that. Um, but I think of my phone as a way to stay connected to like the people that are super important that I actually talk to on a daily basis. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So yeah. my dopamine is a little bit different, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that you also have the ability to uh, compartmentalize and kind of you, you use the phone for practical. It's all practical. And I mm-hmm. think. Um, not all millennials, but millennials in general, um, with the, the phone is more of a just have to have, it's a want, it's not, or sorry, I meant to say it's, it's a need, like people need the phone. It's just a part of them where you're, you're viewing the device as, you know, I need, I need to be connected to these people at a, um, for just a certain number of people for this time in being. And yeah. Yeah that's when I'll get to my phone. Um, but you can decipher that. Well, I think it's funny when, uh, to not funny, haha, but funny, like, hmm, that's interesting. As he was talking about the, um, like the likes on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this off, off the show, but the highlight reel that gets played out or like the bragging that happens like um, constantly or regularly, like, my life is so fabulous. Let me put all the stuff on Facebook. So then people believe that my, my life is fabulous and don't get me wrong. I'm sure like many people's lives are fabulous and fantastic and braggadocious and all these other things consistently, but oftentimes they're not. So there's, there's, for me, I think about it. There's sometimes a human element that's missing that people aren't sharing with each other. Like it's almost an inauthentic connection. You know, I'm connecting with only the great things giving the appearance that I don't struggle. And so sometimes that's, that's hard for um, me to like respond to. Cause I'm like, this isn't you all the time. And I really love when people are willing to be vulnerable. So if I have friends or family who are like, "Ugh, I'm just going through something I need to talk. Um, yeah. It's a cry out. And some people could be like, when they just keep that shit to themselves. But I really appreciate when people were like, this is my community and I'm in struggle. Like, and they don't, they, maybe they don't know how to like individually reach out and they just may need a like, a like or a heart. So those, some of those things that, you know, have to be thoughtful about 
what I go on and what I see. So, you know, I, that really segues into a piece of this conversation uh, about millennials is, and you know, w- when I raise this topic, we, of course, there are so many external factors besides technology, but, um, yeah. you know, m- millennial ge- generation is statistically the most depressive, uh, or yeah. statistically, <laughs> uh, more people are depressed, um, that are reported depressed. Yeah. Um, I should be more specific with that. Um, and like I said, many factors, but a piece of that it's, you can see it just through how folks interact with social media. Cause some folks tend to be too vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 even that word is operative because it's good that we're seeing it so that we can reach out to people for help. But the reason why people are so vulnerable is uh, social media kind of dictates how we should be happy in a way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we long for those likes and that validation on social media um, because of our upbringing, right? And so that's a platform where everyone has a voice, everyone can give input and receive input. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's creating an environment where a, a small little thumbs down, thank God there's no thumbs down um, on Facebook. I low key want a thumbs down so bad. <laughs> but or like an eye are... roll or a side eye, but that's just me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, I actually want the, um, you know, it's the emoji with the two horizontal lines as the yes, eyes yes, and the that's horizontal like, mouth. I'm doing it now, but you know what? It's like, <laughs> mm-hmm, bitch. Right. Okay. Um, but those little things, and even in small quantities, can really hurt someone's feelings. And I think we're observing it even more so with, uh, I think I've heard them call it Generation Z or Generation Text or Generation tech for technology but even with them since they were born with an ipad in their hands they when they don't get that validation that really sinks you know their self-esteem so you could some people could say that the millennial generation is entering the workforce with a lower Mm self-esteem yeah that's so true i think this is this is also the um i think both the millennials and the the next generation, be they Z or whatever the case may be, I think it's like supposed to be like the most depressed, like clinically diagnosed depressed um, and the most medicated um, in terms of managing and like equalizing, like finding an equal footing in terms of chemical. And I don't want to say chemical imbalance because that's an overstatement, but the most medicated and the most depressed as in clinically depressed and diagnosed. Um, and I sometimes... It's so interesting because I remember as I was growing up, again, not I'm not far reaching from that. Uh, but part of this is like in the black community, like you don't talk about those things. Like you don't talk about that. You take it to Jesus, you lay it on the altar, and then you have faith in that things are just going to get better. So there's some element that I appreciate that folks are willing to put some of those things out there. Um and seek out help and find resources and people connect them to resources. Um, but one thing that I regularly say in life in terms of the people who are um, over sharers as opposed to overly vulnerable is that everybody should have secrets. And I'm not saying secrets as in like, I have a body in you know the suitcase in front of me or like in the closet, but not everything is for public consumption. Um, 
And I think sometimes that 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 makes me wonder if people are like constant, like every five minutes they're updating their Facebook. And I only know this because the the times that I hop on during the day, like if like five of the posts that I see, if I scroll through, you know, like I'll do like three scrolls and then I'm like, I'm done. Um, If five scrolls are from one person or five messages, I'm like, I wonder if they have any friends like in real life. And that sounds shady, but I really mean that. Like, no, not at all. Like, I wonder I'm who they're so connecting with. <laughs> I wor- I worry. I'm like, oh my gosh, are they? Like, is all their interaction on social media or Facebook or Twitter? Are they? Are they talking to people? Well, yeah, so. that's for for me. It's less about the. I mean, yet yeah, oversharing. Um, you know, I'm not on social media as much as I used to. But um, it's more so the frequency. I'm like, I look at these timestamps and I'm like, you're sending a new post like every 20 minutes. Like this, you know, this is Facebook, it's not Twitter or they're posting pictures left and right. And I'm just like, yeah, when are you having time to interact with people? And is it so important that you post the status that you can't take a break from it or just be in the moment? And I'm like, aren't you at work or shouldn't you be in class? Right. That's often what I think. So, So, you know, yeah, going back to the depressed thing um, and the instant gratification. um, Yeah, where I see this manifest itself in the workplace, um, now that I'm thinking about it, um, and it makes me feel like I'm the older person, but little it's the little things that I roll my eyes at so, so much. Um, some folks in my organization can be glued to their computers answering emails. If you send me an email at 10 o'clock, you can best believe I won't see that until like three hours later or two mm-hmm. hours later, depending on the time of the day. And it annoys me so much when it's either one of my my direct employees um, or someone from another office where we bump each other into each, each, into each other in the hall and it's like, hey, did you see that? No, bitch, I did not see that email. Right? Don't so. ask me about that shit because if I saw it, I likely would have responded or I'm not ready to respond right now, which is why you don't have a response. Thank right. you, that's enough. Or yeah. it's... Or it's like, I don't respond to an email and um, this happens a lot with students. Um, I don't respond to an email within 24 hours. So it's like, hey, so I just wanted to put this on top of your mailbox and remind you. I'm just like, calm it down. Things don't move at lightning speed, especially at a school. <laughs> like, calm yeah. it down. Well, I, I've, I've certainly had that experience with millennials. Um, and granted, the work that I do is can be stressful for the people who I meet with because it's conduct stuff. And that usually means that there's behavioral things that they've done. So they're like, it's like, I want to be in trouble now. I don't want to wait a week, but I'm like, my calendar doesn't allow for me to meet with you right now, which is why I scheduled this out for a week. Um, But yeah, I certainly have the like, the barrage of emails and then like the call, did you see my email? No, I'm doing other things. And now I'm, I'm on the call with you. So I will, I'll, I'll get, I'll get to it. Don't, don't worry that I will get to it. But mm-hmm. right at this moment, if it was like fire, flood or blood, first of all, call 911. Second, exercise a little patience or like group the emails together so that, you know, I could see a few things at once, but I've got a number of responsibilities to attend to. And those don't include responding to emails immediately as, as they come in, unless it's my boss or my boss's boss. Like I get those things. Um, because that's how I roll. I'm like, if I look at my email and I got something from my boss's boss, I'm like, oh shit, let me go ahead and 
right on I'm on top of it. Yeah. Um but other than that, I'm like, I'm gonna get to the message. I'm just doing other things. Practice patience. And it may uh-huh. take me a day or two to get back because sometimes I don't have an answer. Sometimes I look at, or I need to think about it and be thoughtful in my response. But right. I also don't want to get my ass handed to me for firing off a response that I don't know, like it's not fully vetted or I didn't think through all the way. I <laughs> also um, sometimes too, uh, you know, someone comes to me, we're trying to troubleshoot an issue and they're like, yeah, I just can't get a hold of this person. Like they're not responding, they're not responding. And I'll say, did you try to call them? <laughs> right? Oh, no. on the phone? Yeah, on the phone, right? And it's just like, <laughs> I've I've noticed a little bit, just like calling people on our office phones is like such um, a faux pas for them or just like a, not an idea that they think of. Um, and I find that very hilarious too. Like I'm... Um, I even do it with my friends. Like, like I said, I just feel like I've, um, and I have some traits of the older generation, but, uh, like even with my friends, like if people are, are, if I'm having a text conversation with someone, I only have the patience to let that go so far because I'm like, either I'm trying to walk somewhere or I'm like busy doing something else and I'll just end the text stream. And if it's that complicated, I'll pick up the phone and call. And sometimes my friend will hang up and respond back with, wait, so why are you calling? I'm not ready. What's going on? (laughs) I like how they pick up and then hang up and then respond back. I'm like, just don't pick up. So it's just so interesting um, being well, in the funny, of that. Well, it's funny because you call me sometimes and I'm like, I look at the phone and I'm like, what's wrong? Like something must be wrong if you want to hear my voice. So that's certainly, I'm sure the, a millennial trait in me that I'm like, I don't want to talk on the phone. There's like a handful of people I talk on the phone with and I talk with, the, with them consistently. But sometimes if I don't talk to you like all the, like every day, like, I have like maybe two friends like and we talk about work stuff so I don't blow up at work you know and whatnot but I'm like what's wrong are you okay <laughs> right that's so interesting <laughs> I think that is very true with millennials just the calling especially from someone you don't talk to on the phone every day means something's wrong yeah um, absolutely and that has completely changed um, and for me, it's convenience. I think calling and talking is so much more convenient than texting. But people argue that texting is more convenient yeah. in certain scenarios. Yeah, and because I think you are a person that's like regularly on the move, going somewhere, doing something. So I could see how like texting, you're like, I'm trying to walk or I'm trying to be on the move somewhere. And I'm like, I'm chilling at home, being my homebody self. And I'm watching TV. So... I would rather text than talk so I can hear the TV and respond to you like intermittently. You know, I'm in mm-hmm. the conversation, but I'm doing a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> but usually when I'm talking to you, you're like, I'm walking to the train or I'm going to such and such. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm sitting on the couch, you know, with the dog, just hanging out. So oh. or I'm in my office, like, yeah, I'm here, just in my office working, not going anywhere. Well, yeah, that's funny. So, uh, you know, back to Simon. Um, he I know, right? So, I'm like, <laughs> so many good topics. Um, so after, you know, he talks about the technology aspect, um, you know, he does give some options and about, like, putting things away and focusing on human experience, which I, I definitely um, support. Um, but he goes into saying that 
he he talks about uh it's the employer's duty yeah to um accommodate these behaviors so mo- in most forums where i've talked about millennials, um, millennials, millennials, they, they put, they, you know, it's usually spoken by someone in Generation Z, I mean, sorry, X, and uh, they're saying that it's the parents' fault, it's the person's fault, the millennial and their upbringing, um, but I actually, it was refreshing to hear Simon's take on companies, corporate organizations, just really any employer has a duty, not the, the sole duty, but a duty to um, empathize with millennials and their behaviors and provide them the tools and the resources to succeed in their environment. Um, I think yes and no. I think this is funny because I did a presentation at an HR conference um, in February. Was it February or March? Maybe March or beginning of March around this. Uh, and it, we co- we talked about like what are employers looking for and like you know new and upcoming employees that are getting ready to graduate and what are um, you know recent graduates looking for and I think there there seems to very much be a disconnect with what what each of them is looking for in each other and some of that is that we're not having dialogues with you know potential new employees so like think of like. Say there a crop of millennials is getting ready to graduate from college or grad school or high school in the coming month or two. There's a disconnect about what they both want because they're not talking to each other. They're making some assumptions based on like what they read, what they see, what they hear, and they're not talking to the the people that they're going to eventually be working with. Um, so I think it's it's on both people or both groups to figure out what is going to be helpful. But I don't think it's all of the employer. To try to figure out because they're also assuming that people are coming to them with a certain skill set and a certain like just basic know-how does that make sense totally and i think we we're in the fortunate place of education to be talking about this all the time and seeing it happening in action because Mm -hmm. we're in fields where we were in the workforce and we're in (laughs) and we're trying to bridge that gap because we know what employees are saying and we know what schools are lacking in terms of training young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I totally agree with you. They're not talking. They're making a lot of assumptions. Um, and I think that's why sometimes this conversation and the attributes of millennials is negative leaning. But I think it's also very positive, too. You can you know, find um, see both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, my response to his um, critique about that is, uh, yeah, it's not entirely the employer's position um, to navigate that. I think part of um, growing up is being able to navigate the world. I don't care what world it is. You know, it could be the 1920s, depre- uh, 1930s depression. It could be you could have had to learn to navigate the world through the war, World War One, World War Two, whatever, during whatever hard times. And you know, we millennials are navigating a different type of hard time right now. And I do think that you just gotta, you just gotta bite the bullet and just try it out and navigate it and hopefully have the maturity to know your strengths and weaknesses and the, the humility, um, to know that you're, 
that you're not good at everything and then just mm -hmm. work work through it like mm -hmm. i i don't know how more blunt to be about that is like we're an employer doesn't have time to lay down the foundation blocks for you all the time yeah, yeah. um i i think things that employers some employers are good at and i support maintaining this is set up a performance review cycle i think that should be at all companies if mm -hmm. you're an entry-level employee i hope you have a manager that um can help you move up through the ranks because you're an entry-level employee maybe you want to stay at that organization long term and they can give mm -hmm. you advice um but i don't think it's an employer's place if you have like um, I think Simon was kind of getting at, like, you know, some of these folks are depressed and some of them are um, just, you know, inept in certain areas. So we got to teach them. Well, no, my, I pay them and I'm expecting a certain certain level of work back. And yeah. there's not enough hours in the day to teach them all those things. Yeah. Well, two things that you, when you said um, that one is that I think like me as an employee, millennial or otherwise, I need to be able to recognize again, like if I'm if I'm the problem and then to to assess and then course correct appropriately. And if I don't know how to do that, or if I'm not sure, like I think I'm the problem, you have to put on your, you know, your brave and strong, as one of my previous supervisors used to say, and ask for help. Like if you don't know, like something is not going right and you think maybe I'm it but I'm not sure because I'm I'm caught up in my own like ego and all those other things, not ego, like big E, but like I'm caught in my ego. So I, there's some things that I'm, I have blind spots to ask. Chances are people will tell you, um, but sometimes you have to take the leap out there and, you know, have faith that people will give you an honest response when you ask the question. Um, so that's one thing that I was going to say about that. And then the other thing is, um, I think uh, sometimes we are, we as human beings are emotional in our response to um, obviously to feedback and to difficult conversations and whatnot. But as an, if I'm the employer, like I don't see my responsibility as managing your emotions. That doesn't mean I'm going to come forward and be like an asshole to you, but like I need you to, to be able to manage your emotions or use the tools that you have available to manage your own emotions, be that a therapist, a counselor, an EAP, which is an employee assistance program that's provided by a lot of companies, like use the tools that you have access to, to manage your own emotions. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk your hand through because I'm paying you to, um, you know, salary and benefits, whatever those are, whatever you signed up for, you can be mad about it, but remember you signed up for it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm paying you to help move a product forward or to execute an idea and things like that. Not for me to have to then manage your emotions. I 100% agree with that. I think, you know, what companies can do in terms of uh, owning that responsibility is, yeah, I kind of, you know, human resources and managers, like we, we spend, most people spend 40 plus hours out of how many hours in a given week at work. So yeah, work on your benefits work on what resources you offer employees so that they can learn how to get that outside help so it doesn't interfere with work, right? It's mm -hmm. simple, but um, uh, where I do see a really good role and um, or like a responsibility is I liked what he said about uh, not focusing on the employee so much, but, well, yes, focusing on the employee, but uh, 
how about your managers and your leaders in teaching people how to lead? Mm-hmm. I think that can go a long way. And um, I wouldn't put the onus on the manager to completely find that. Like, I would hope everyone has it in their heart to, like, go and seek professional development and do this and do that. But, like, if you're running a team in an organization, sometimes it's hard to find time for that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it would be great if the employer can offer some money or in-class workshops to help to teach people how to lead and that those leadership development, soft people skills. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of it can be up to the employee as well to like look and see what your HR offers. Because there's probably a lot of opportunities out there that sometimes they're not on the front page of like the cute HR website or anything. Or you have to like maybe ask one or two people for like, hey, do we have this? And chances are lots of organizations have this stuff or have access or could connect you at no cost to low cost. Um, but there's a, there's a, you know, putting yourself out there piece that, you know, you've got to be willing to do. Um, but yeah, I certainly think that, that this doesn't make managers or supervisors exempt. Um, because sometimes, which we've talked about before, sometimes people are, are moved into supervisory or managerial roles because they've been there the longest. Um, and that's not always the right move to make. So I think there's lots of people responsible for, you know, their own growth and development. Um, and so by no means is it just a millennial thing. I'd like Gen Xers, baby boomers, whoever the generation before them is, like it's all of our responsibility to take our professional development into our hands and get help, ask. Like people will help. Sometimes you just got to ask because they don't know what you need. Right. So simple to just ask and just talk. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he talks about the employer responsibility and then how he ended the video, which um, was a point of agreement with me is, you know, we don't all have to have be experts in how we work with people. And I know you and I were introverts and sometimes we we favor just kind of getting the work done and not getting um, being involved too much in our um, employees' personal lives mm-hmm. or even just our, our colleagues. But uh, I liked what he said about empathy. It boils down to empathy and you don't have to be experts of the other side or you don't have to assume. But to advance as an organization, you can't completely take out the human element. We're not all robots. Mm-hmm. But to understand <laughs> and help people fill in the gaps in their different skill areas. Yeah, just go in with empathy. Um, don't make assumptions, but still go in with empathy. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, I think it, there's so much of it that we all have to learn together and it's no one person's responsibility to shepherd the next generation, take care of the previous generation. I think we all have a responsibility to contribute. Um, so when people forget that, I think that's where we run into some of the, uh, the things where we start pointing fingers and blaming or saying it's, it's your job to do that. It's your job to do that. When it's our collective responsibility, if we, if we win, if I win, you win, thus we win. That's what I try to tell my team. I'm, if I win, you get a win. We win. We got to make each other look good. We did it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's so true. Um, 
And I, you know, I, I couldn't wait to talk about this topic. It, it just helped me think about it in a very new light. Um, the piece that I can, um, you know, in, in terms of like take home points, um, the piece that I got the most out of, or that will, I will change, um, is I guess technology and how I relate to it, that dopamine effect mm -hmm. really got to me. And, um, I am trying to view my phone more as a practical item of practicality and not as a need and just focusing on human interactions. And, um, I think, you know, I have a friend who uh, just went to Columbia and for vacation and he went off the grid for 24 hours and, um, I just find that a, a very fascinating challenge to try <laughs> right? to do that, especially in another country when anything could happen. Um, but yeah, he went out and about and didn't take his phone with him. So um, I'm going to try that. And, uh, you know, I'm in this point where I'm, I really want to focus on human connection. And it's funny that I say this because in the workplace, I'm a people person as much as I'm an introvert. I'm in the position I'm in right now because not because of the hard skills, but part of my hard skills is the soft skills in a way where I can manage people and I can help make them grow. Um, that's what education is all about. Mm -hmm. But I want to take that into the real world and just um, see if I can still further that into uh, interpersonal development. Okay. But you take home uh, points. Let's see. Take home points. Um, I think one of the things that he said at the beginning is something that I have to be mindful of not holding on to i mean one of the first things that he says that not one of the first things but like in the first like three minutes or something that millennials are tough to manage um and i have to remember that i i choose to see or i can choose to see millennials as tough to manage um or i can choose to engage and find ways for us to collaborate uh, in a manner that supports growth on both ends. So again, choose is such an important word for me, um, such an important verb for me too. So I think I have to be mindful of how I choose to see the millennials that I work with um, and start to focus more on how do we help each other shine rather than how do I like work through like perhaps a frustrating um, uh, mannerism or uh, way that a millennial might go about the work that they're doing and see like talk through those points where I'm confused at. So making a real active choice um, to look beyond what I, you know, what could be easily shoved off as they're, they're tough to manage or supervise. I like that. All right. <laughs> it's time for a well-deserved break. We are back for um, Ask a Boss. So remember, if you have any questions for us, um, please email us at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so I actually um, want to move away from the mailbox a little bit and talk about an experience I had this week. And um, hopefully that can just manifest itself into a question. So, ready for it? Mm-hmm. So, 
part of uh, one of my responsibilities as a manager and also a, le uh, a lead for my division, um, because altogether I lead in a division of 15, 16, uh, 20 people. And then it's me and uh, the Dean of Design. Uh, so one of my jobs is to, every fiscal year, um, before we even tackle the operating budget, um, we have to kind of just strategically plan um, our capital asks. And capital asks okay. can be anything such as like huge construction or studio reno renovations. So for the work I do, studio renovations is a common conversation as our curriculum um, evolves. And then also equipment for our shops, um, because I work at an art school and everything the students do is re requires a proper um, venue to work in. And so I, I meet, I have several meetings over the course of like three months with uh, my department heads to understand their needs. And then I have <coughs> intimate conversations with my senior team to understand where we are fiscally and, you know, enrollment and numbers and tuition, all that stuff. So I had a meeting with facilities and um, I had I had asked the meeting um, so I can push forward some conversations and I'm better one on one. And I was hoping that I would only meet with the AVP of operations. But because he was new, um, he brought on board three other people <laughs> with him uh. To, uh, to join the conversation and help him through it because he's still learning and contextualizing everything. He just started in February. <sighs> so already that threw me off. <laughs> right. I was, very, I was so I'm overwhelmed already. I'm like, Ooh, shit. Okay. I was so prepared for the meeting. You know, I had diagrams of our studios, uh, specs, all these things. And, um, Long story short, I left that me meeting feeling embarrassed and stupid. Like I was, mm -hmm. they were asking me questions that I didn't have the answer to because they were very technical. Like they, you know, they're the, they're facilities people. So, but I'm not. And mm -hmm. all I have is the information from my chairs. And mind you, my chairs are experts in terms of their disciplines. And, but I'm not expert in all the disciplines of design. So okay. they, they, it, it kind of was like a battle where I went in, into the room and I was just seeking for, here's my information, how can you help me? But it was very much like we were butting heads and they were asking questions that wouldn't necessarily help me move forward. But, um, and th th mind you, this was coming from the other people in the room that, um, <laughs> that were just added to the invite last minute. Yeah. It wasn't coming from the AVP. So um, my, you know, my question is, um, how do you advocate for your people when the other department or office is not really seeing you eye to eye? They are, they are so concerned with maybe their own limitations and own resources, and they're asking you questions that you don't have the answer to because you're not the expert in facilities. <laughs> so how do, you, um, how do you represent an org like that? Okay. Hmm. I... I'm trying to think if this happened to me. Oh. And mind you, I, I actually have the answer to my own question because I did a lot of reflection on this with my supervisor. Okay. But, um, but yeah, go for it. Like, I'm curious to know your input. Yeah. So I would, I would probably try to set up an individual conversation with the person I was supposed to have a meeting with initially. 
<clears throat> and more of a maybe not as structured of a conversation. Um, and I would probably, I'm trying to think who I am. I would probably be honest and say, you know, thank you for the time meeting. I, I, I didn't necessarily feel like I walked away with what I had originally intended to walk away with. So I said, so perhaps we can start there. Um, and then I may see how they respond and just say, you know, these are some of the things that I was hoping for. Is there a way, it seems like we have competing needs or interests. How do we work to meet in the middle so that you are able to get what you need and I'm able to get what I need? And maybe we don't get everything that, you know, we hope, but we get, you know, more things accomplished together than we do separately and see where the conversation goes from that point. Um, because I think, did you walk away from that having made that original meeting, having made any actual decisions? No. And, okay. you know, I was very clear on the invitation, what my goal was in the meeting. I always set meetings with goals. And the goal of the meeting wasn't even to get clear decisions. The only decision I was looking for was, uh, so facilities has to, um, when they take requests, they have to see what they can accommodate in a 12-month time span within that fiscal year. And anything that they can't... Um, that they can't achieve, we go back into our operating budgets and uh, figure out what we can do on our own, right? And mm -hmm. so my goal was just to basically compartmentalize and figure out what do you think is in reason for the uh, fiscal year 2018 and what do you think is not within reason? So I know how we can set our five-year plan. But yeah. uh, I walked out of that meeting, they were so uh, caught up with the details, the finite details. Yeah, and I, I think I'd probably say that I just be honest, and I said when I walked out, I felt like it got really detailed and like really nuts and bolts. And it sounds like you were looking for some like larger, big picture things, and that didn't seem to happen as a result of that. And I tried to see if you could initiate, like, have an actual meeting with just this person um, to revisit like the larger picture of things. And then as things get narrowed down, you can start to talk about nuts and bolts because that'll be help. That that might make it a little bit easier for you to frame. Like how and what's the best method to move forward? I would probably say almost exactly that thing. I like that. Yeah. So um. <laughs> that's one of those things where to me it's like, let me just be honest. That didn't go in the direction that I thought it was going to go in. This was what I was hoping. So perhaps we could take a little bit of time now to figure those things out. So the next time we can actually be productive and make decisions rather than dive deep now when we haven't figured out how to swim. Um, but I would certainly do the, let, let me get in front of you, just me and you. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. I am definitely going to do that. There, it took, I was so caught up that day. I felt so bad about myself um, and embarrassed. Um, I had to get over Tuesday um, and keep on reflecting and realize, wait, I think this was more them than me, mm -hmm. um, or, you know? And my supervisor also said that, you know, you have to let folks understand that the breadth of disciplines that you oversee, it's impossible for you to know all the specific questions or answers mm -hmm. to questions that they ask. And so it's okay to say um, in a very confident way, remind them that, but also say, you know what, I'm going to get back to you um, mm -hmm. on these details, but let's focus on the bigger picture. 
Yeah. Um, and then someone also told me that uh, one, um, the person I work with, the dean, um, she, I, I, she has a very uh, great spontaneous way of tackling um, or mediating situations. And she's like, uh, you know, a lot of times when people throw those technical terminologies at you in a conversation, that is their own insecurity. And yeah, it's, it's bullshit. Ego. It's ego. ego. So she's like, I walk around and I'm like, if I don't know something, it's fine. I don't know. I'll get back to you. And I don't care wh where I am in this organization, but I'm not going to um, trap you in these fancy words. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm, I'm working on a project slash report right now. And it requires it seems to require like some legal language. And I don't do that. Don't want to do that. Not good at that. And so I have been very clear in the last few weeks to be like, uh, -uh I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to say that. Like, how would a regular person explain this? Or how would a regular person understand this concept? So I don't, I, you know, as bright as I am, I don't have the terminology to be able to follow what you're saying. And I want to be able to do a good job and to like meet the needs of this report and whatnot. But I also have to understand what I'm doing. Did I smile? And then they break it down for me. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Or like, give me an example. A tangible example would be really helpful in me understanding that. Because then it also challenges the other person to be able to make their language accessible. Mm -hmm. To see if they True. actually know what they're talking about or they're just using like industry jargon to like try to sound cute and fancy. Right. I, yeah. That I think that is one thing that really distinguishes a leader. And so, you know, I texted you early this, earlier this week to indicate I went through something that I was like, wow, I have something tangible that I really want to work on. And even though this situation was two-sided, it made me think, yeah, you know, I want to be able to work my way further in leadership positions where I know how to speak to and adjust my language to many different parts of an organization. Mm -hmm. So... I think that is a crucial skill. Like, I have to be able to talk to the president or vice president, just like I'm able to talk to, like, for me, a high school senior who's going to be coming to college and be able to relate on both levels. Like, that is part of my role. And to me, that, like you said, that that is a sign of someone who gets it and understands that their audience is wide. And you've got to be able to meet people where they are. And it's not, a I have to dumb down my language. It's not that at all. It's just like, I have to meet people who are going to eventually understand more of what, you know, my role is or what I do or a project or something. But I have to meet them at a place where they're going to understand it to begin with. Thanks for talking that through with me. <laughs> so um, if you have, remember, any questions, please email us at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be right back. Boss ass bitch, bitch ass boss of the week. <laughs> bitches and bosses, basically. We should just simplify and just say bitches and bosses. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think we might have to do that. I kind of like it. Um, all right. So, how about you start us off if you have so, anything? Yes. Yeah, so, I have, I think, two bosses. So, one of them, and they are not necessarily people um, specifically, but <clears throat> bosses out to 
people who go outside of like the norm to kind of try and experience new things. Um, I have recently gone to two or three symphony performances. Um, and it's not, if you were to look at me outward, um, yeah, perhaps I'm, I'm pretty, a little bit uptight. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't necessarily present as someone who would like go to the symphony and or enjoy it, but I am loving it. It is so like relaxing and I'm really connecting with the music and like minus all the fanfare and whatnot. So um, bosses to the people who go out and try new things, even like when you're nervous walking in, like, am I going to fit in? Are there going to be other people there that look like me? Um, I have found that to be a really great space and I have been loving the music and the experience and just being somewhere where I'm like, oh, I can connect and like not have to worry about a whole lot of things. Um, so that's one. And the second one is um, a boss to um, recently it was equal pay day for women. Um, and I've been working, doing some workshops um, through a grant through my job on uh, empowering uh, universe, university, college, uh, university or college women students um, in terms of negotiating uh, their salary. So I do, I just want to shout out to the folks who are willing to go to bat for themselves, um, even when your voice shakes and even when you have to have notes, um, because this, the statistics are staggering in terms of what women, uh, primarily women of color, make for every dollar that a white man makes. Um, and these are facts and figures I am not making up, but I want to say it was Latino women make 55 cents for every dollar that a white male makes. Um, Black women make somewhere around 64 to 68 cents. Um, Asian women, 72 to 75 cents. Um, and they surprisingly didn't give the number for white women. Hmm, I don't know what that's about. Um, but it's it was staggering to see those numbers and frankly, quite disappointing. But shout outs and bosses to the people who are advocating for themselves. And it certainly has given me some language and some empowerment to do the same for myself when the time presents itself, which I'm going to make that happen soon. Um, and then we'll see what comes of that. But interesting uh, concept, but I will uh, make sure that the, the link to some of the, that, those materials get into our bio. So that's what I got. So not necessarily people, but groups of people who are doing new things and advocating for themselves. Cool. All right, so um, it's my turn to have a list. <laughs> this um, some of them I'm just going to gloss over because I feel like some of well, a couple of these topics are exhausted. I just have to say bitch to them. But anyways, I'm going to start with the bitch asses. <laughs> um, Pepsi, <laughs> for oh. obvious reasons. That, that uh, stupid-ass commercial they came out with, um, with Kendall Jenner, and I, I'm not really focusing on Kendall, but more so the company and just people's response to it. It was just a very fascinating way to see how some people really couldn't see the issue with it, how insensitive <sighs> of, um, of a way it was, and I, I just have to clap to SNL for their take on um, something like that. But it, it was just really stupid. Um, you know, it, being a, especially a black male and them trying to equate a soda um, with solving racism and, uh. you know, police shootings, it's just so ignorant. And, and this is, once again, why we need diversity in the workplace. Because yeah. how did that idea go through so many layers of approvals 
and not one bitch said, no, this is not right. It's because there's no people of color or diversity at the table. You know when they say Anyways. if you're not at the table, you're what's on the menu. But anywho. Ooh. Snapping, if you can hear that. Right? that. <laughs> um, my other bitch ass is United Airlines and over, you know, <sighs> we've ta- this topic has been <laughs> spoken over so much this week. But um, I, my main thing is I don't care who this person is. I am very upset at how much investigation on this person's identity um, the community has been doing. Some, I guess maybe not so much the United Airlines is my bitch-ass boss, but just the people. It, if it was a white woman or a white man, I bet you we would not, all these stories about this person's past would not have come up. But because mm-hmm. this guy was Asian, I think specifically Vietnamese, that's why. Yep. And I, I don't know if he's, I'm not saying, yep, he's Vietnamese, but I'm like, but it, because he's a person of color, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last bitch ass goes specifically to people who do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but I'm like, I'm ready. Especially, this happened to me at work, but uh, I hate this in all environments. And I thought we were so done with this. Do not start a sentence to me with, to be the devil's advocate. Oh, Lord. I hate when people say that. Oh. I hate it. I'm like, first of all, don't ever advocate for the devil if you believe. Right? <laughs> you just want to be difficult and want to have a precursor to be an asshole. You want to be difficult. And Ugh. my thing is, is that most people who prescribe to using that sentence structure they they lead by identifying issues and concerns and problems, and they never offer a solution. I, I, when, we're, when we're at the table trying to problem solve, I'm perfectly fine with identifying potential obstacles. That's, that's important. That's a good skill to have to foresee and see a potential obstacle. But don't come at me and just like, after one idea after the next, you just combat me with, Eh, 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 like, what about this? But what if this happens? What if, what if you know, the, the moon fell out of the sky right now? So, and yeah. And hit your dumb head. So. <laughs> I like how you, like, low-key got violent and hit your dumb head. Okay. Well, there's that. So just, uh-huh. uh, just don't do that. It's like, be solution-oriented. It, it's just not productive to be like that. Ugh, it just nerves me. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I low-key okay. hate when people do that. I'm like. Here go this motherfucker to have him on the devil's advocate. Mm. I already assume I'm like, if you say that, I already think you ain't shit. So, mm-hmm. um, two, uh, and then I have to give um, my boss ass awards to um, the state of New York. They mm. recently passed a legislation that made, uh, I don't, it's state schools definitely, but I don't think it applies to all public schools, but for state schools, it makes them makes New York residents um, have tuition, uh, free tuition for um, any New York state school if their family makes under mm-hmm. $100,000. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a long time coming for that state. It, it is one of our states that has, uh, I mean, I think third to California and Texas has the largest state school system. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just really proud. Anything to make education more accessible. Mm-hmm. New York uh, has been showing oh, up yeah. in a few ways lately, and I'm like, okay, getting rid of Rikers Island, 
doing this shit with dedication, yeah. being like, fuck 45, we're going to do what we're going to do. Who need a lawyer? Immigration <laughs> lawyer. Like, who needs one, right? So yeah. I'm paying attention to them. Uh, and then I have to also give a um, boss ass to, hold on, I'm looking this up really quickly to remind myself. So there was a um, an appeals court decision in the Seventh Circuit um, that made gay, uh, discrimination against sexuality in the workplace um, uh, illegal. Uh, it was the, the ruling, it was uh, Hively versus Ivy Tech. Um, the, the school holding that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits sexual orientation discrimination. The ruling was eight to three. Um, and this uh, was specifically for an employee at um, Ivy Tech that was fired shortly after um, going through a kind of a, a change in her gender expression um, mm-hmm. that was really apparent. And the next day after she returned back, um, she was fired. And so that's really great. And um, appeals court decisions are super important because um, every time a Supreme Court makes a decision at that level, they always make decisions based off of prece- precedence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is no precedence in any legal uh, literature with disc- uh, sexual, dis- uh, not sexual, but um, uh, sexuality discrimination in the workplace. So this is great. This gives makes helps us become one step closer to making it um a national ruling eventually okay nice and then ahead with the supreme court right and then my last one is i just got um i'm a little late but there's this new music artist named lizzo do you know her we already know the answer to that no i don't (laughs) okay you gotta (laughs) check her out she's uh this Bold, beautiful woman, black woman, um, who knows how to sing. She's pretty young. I think she's in her mid twenties. Um, she just came out with her first album, I think late 20, 2016, early 2017 called coconut oil. Um, there's only like seven tracks on it and all seven tracks are very, uh, distinguishable. Um, she has a range that can apply to any music genre. Um, but I've been hooked on this song called phone, which has this very like, Kiki Vogue death drop sound to it. <laughs> um, and there's a music video and it's sassy. She doesn't sing too much on it. She's like talking through it. Oh, she knows shit. Okay. Yes. 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 And okay. She has a single that has been on the radio or airwaves for like a year at least. And if you just look her up, I'm sure you'll Good recognize one of the songs. Um, so what was that? She got a song, Good as Hell. Good as hell. Um, that song, I put my <laughs> hair up, change my face. Yeah, which one is that? Whatever. Which song is that? Um, hold on, I have to pull up my, my phone. I've heard uh, it. Um, it I hit think, the oh, circuit of like, uh, pride and stuff. So, okay, so I know who it is. Yeah, listen to her other shot? stuff. Okay. But she and she, I, uh, she was in an interview recently, and she, you know, um, being a woman of size, she mm-hmm. talks about fighting through um, image issues while being in the industry early on, and she does not give a damn, and I love it. So she has a great attitude. Okay, I will certainly check out more of her stuff. 
Yay. All right. So that wraps up our wonderful episode. I had a good time. Did you? As did I. So remember to catch us on the interwebs. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, and interact with us over those platforms or over email at headbosspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, thank you for those uh, the folks that have left us reviews on the iTunes page. Um, they're slowly racking up, which is great. So please keep, keep it going. We appreciate the feedback. Uh, and um, that's all we have for you. Yep, that's it. All right, see you later. Bye. I'm the biggest boss that you see thus far. I'm the biggest boss that you see thus far.